0: On the events calendar at 101ESPN.com. Driven by the Bombrito Automotive Group. Wake up and talk sports. A lot of sports. This is Carriger and Smallman. Live from the CarShield Studio on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. The Blues Booth is brought to you by BoardWalk Hardwood Floors. When it's time for new flooring in your home, real wood provides the best long-term value. BoardWalk has great floors for every home. Visit our three area showrooms and online at BoardWalkHardwood.com. Joey Vitale is with us in the Blues Booth. Via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line on 101 ESPN, Michelle and Randy, and Happy Father's Day
1: weekend, Joey. Thank you, Randy and Michelle. I appreciate it, guys. Yes, I'm, I'm looking forward to the to the weekend. You never know what these have in store with the with the little ones, but uh, certainly excited. It should look like some good good weather in St. Louis as well.
2: Joey, I was talking to Randy during the break and. Shopping for a father on Father's Day is the worst because dads just buy themselves whatever they want, whenever they want. So it's not like you can really identify something that they need or want. Are you the same way? Are you the type of dad that will wait for the gift? Or do you just say, hey, I bought myself a new pair of golf, golf clubs. Happy Father's Day to me.
1: You know what? No, Michelle. Actually, I, I, I typically don't do that. I. I actually prefer just the, the handmade gifts because, you know, I think like most fathers, whenever we kind of need something, to your point, uh, we, we kind of just figure out a way to go do it. There's nothing big I necessarily need. And then, uh, you know, I think a typical father as well, uh, you're always looking to save money because uh, on the other end, your wife's always getting Amazon boxes sent to the door. <laughs> so whenever whenever you can look to save a, a few coins, uh, the, better, the better it is. So uh, the handmade art, art crafts, uh, my kids do this thing. Where they uh, and then they're getting a little big for it now, but pretty soon they won't be able to do it. Ever since they were babies, as you know, those pottery places they have the plates and the cups. Uh, they actually do their footprints and handprints, and uh, my wife makes a design, whether it's animals or insects. When they do like uh, the footprint or handprint, and they usually write a message. We've actually put them all up in our dining room, plates against the wall. So it's, it's a good time, and I always look forward to seeing something like that.
0: I still have the, uh, and, and my daughter's twenty two. My main pen and pencil holder is a cup that she made, like when she was in first grade, that says "Dad" on it.
1: I mean, aren't those the best? Yeah, and fantastic. especially when, especially when they can write, you know, "To Dad" or "Love You, Dad," or because uh, then you know the handwriting. It's just there's something symbolic about it, uh, which I really just cherish and I really just enjoy.
2: All right, Joey, another thing we were talking about during the break is that Randy is taking the route of visualization. He's trying to work on his golf swing. He wants a hole-in-one, so he's taken to really thinking about it and envisioning it at night before he goes to bed. As a hockey player, was that something that you did? Did you focus on your mental game and visualize what the, the success that you wanted to have?
1: You know what? So visualization's a a good one. Yes, I think it does work. And I actually learned about this. And you guys, I mean, you guys have to know about this Mark McGuire. That was his thing, right? He'd be in the dugout. And I remember as a kid reading stories about Mark McGuire and, you know, he didn't swing while he was in, uh, in pinch no, excuse me, um, on deck, not in the dugout on deck. He'd be watching the pitches and he would just kind of be standing there. Right. And we all remember Mark McGuire, his forearms were just like Popeye, right? They were just gigantic. And I remember seeing him just stand there uh, on deck in that little circle while the batter's in front of him taking pitches and he's just watching pitches, watching pitches. And I remember thinking, why does he need to take more practice swings? I just assumed that because he's a kid, you, you just take practice swings over and over and over until you're up. And I just remember reading an article when I was thinking like 11 or 12, and it talked about visualization. And he was just thinking and seeing the pitch and, and what pitch was coming first. And he just put it all, he played it all out in his head first. And then that's when I really started to implement visualization more in hockey. You now hockey is a tough one because it's hard to visualize what's going to happen in hockey because it's it's such an ever-changing game there's no two plays that are ever the same Uh, but there are still benefits i think in the sport of hockey that definitely used throughout my career but a a golf swing a baseball swing uh things like that a pitching throw i mean things like that i definitely see the advantages of and i think whenever Rainey can get an edge he probably needs it
0: i do absolutely (laughs) need it so as a a tough guy though did you ever know you were going to fight somebody and visualize yourself beating the hell out of them
1: so yeah that's actually a good one too Randy so i guess the you know the part about visualization for hockey is whenever i knew i had a fight somebody i would you know uh do the scouting report i would talk see i wasn't like uh the enforcer on my team so i always would confide in the enforcer about hey what do you think about this guy what do you think about that guy i'll give you an example i, I started the line brawl when i was with pittsburgh against the philadelphia Flyers. i think my third year i hit daniel breyer come across the middle with like 20 seconds to go in the game or something like that and, and the flyers already won the game and so they thought it was a cheap shot started the line brawl and then the press just blew up because we were facing the Flyers in the first round that year. So everyone already knew we were going to face them in the first round of the Santa Cup playoffs. So they thought this was like premeditated and, you know, Batali, the fourth line duster who never gets 10, 10 minutes a night went after one of our star players. You know, kind of that whole, that whole pitch. And that Sounds was the story meditated. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, maybe it was a little bit I wanted to put a little bit of a dent. Yeah. I wanted to put a little bit of a dent. Yes, Don't get me wrong. Um, and then, so sure enough, though, you know, uh, Zach Ronaldo at the time, uh, Jody Shelley, who was a monster at the time. I mean, all these guys on the Philadelphia Flyers were talking about the press, how they're going to, they're going to uh, basically come back at me and they're going to, they're going to figure out how to make the revenge right or whatever. So I didn't, I didn't sleep for like a week before that's game one. And, of course, game one, you know, comes. I talked to Aaron Ashton, who was our fighter. Uh, we have Steve McIntyre, who was a beast. Uh, he was like a bull moose, man. This guy was so big. And I asked him, hey, what do you think about uh, Zach Ronaldo? You know, he said, hey, well, he's a lefty. He's going to line up. He's a righty. He's going right, to show your right, And he's going to switch right at the last second. So don't let him tie you up. You know, or if Jody Shelley grabs you, just turtle. Just go down. Don't even try to swing, you know. So little things like that. So in my head, I remember before that game, which opponent would it would it would it be, and then how to kind of handle myself uh, appropriately with pride, but also try to protect myself?
0: We, was there anybody tougher than Shelly? If you if your tough guy is telling you to turtle for Shelly, <laughs> was there anybody tougher than that?
1: You know what? The only guy tougher at that that year was the guy on our team which was steve mcintyre and if uh, a lot of players are uh, you know fans probably remember him. he played a lot of years with edmonton a couple of years at pittsburgh he bounced around a lot but he was just straight an enforcer but uh i mean and i had a play on his line for like two years you want to talk about building character uh trying to receive a pass from steve mcintyre on a breakout was about <clears throat> about as, uh, as, as impossible as you can imagine but you can never say anything to him because he was out there and he was protecting you. And he's one of the toughest guys in the league. So uh, just a humble guy. You know what always amazes me? Like, I talk to Jody Shelley now because, you know, he does a lot of stuff for Columbus. I still keep in contact with Steve McIntyre. I mean, these guys were just gladiators. I mean, what they went through night in, night out, the preparation to fight. But uh, knowing that I'm away from the, away from the rink. Just the most, I think the tougher you were on the ice, Eric Goddard's another one, the tougher you were on the ice, I think the more humbled and just kind-spirited you were off the ice. It was so weird how it always worked out that way. But these are some of just the most genuine human beings you'll ever meet. Yeah, they really are.
0: One of those guys, and I, you might know Basil McRae, one time uh, he tells the story, one time they put him uh, on the left wing of Brett Hall in practice, and uh, they're... they're um, they've got a line rush in practice and Hull passes to Basil and, and Basil's a tough guy. The puck bounces off his stick and Hull, he goes, "Jeez, Basil, what part of the tape do you want it on? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> See, that's, that's Basil. That's Basil's first mistake was going with Brett. I, I, I never, ever in my wildest dreams would ever dream to go with, you know, Sidney Crosby or, or Keith Yandle or Evgeny Malkin. And the thing was Randy, and, and Michelle, they didn't want to go with me either. You know, I, I always they, they would always kind of configure the line. So if it was like a two-on-one drill, you know, and I was like fourth in line, I looked across the blue line and who I'm going with, if Sid was fourth in line, I, I kid you not, and he will never admit this, but I'm like, okay, I'm going with Sid. I'm starting to get anxious a little bit. And I'd look over, and I would just see him slip back a spot or he'd slip up a spot so he could go with the Chris Koonens or Pascal through. He didn't want to go with me, and, and I don't blame him. And it worked out well for me, too, because I don't have to have the anxiety and I have a panic attack just doing a
2: two-on-one on a Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds rough, Joey. As we're going through these conversations, I'm trying to think in my mind about the power rankings of tough guys on this Blues team, and I just keep deferring to Chief at the, at the top of the list, and I don't know whether that's fair or not, but he seems to be the toughest guy in that locker room at any given point.
1: Hey, I tell you what, when uh, when the Blues beat the Winnipeg Jets last year in game one of round one, and Mark Scheifele at the end of that game, and, you know, so the Winnipeg is one of those, few rinks that are, it's rare because the coaches don't leave the ice through the bench like they do at the Enterprise Center. They actually have to cross the ice, which I think is only I think it's only three or four rinks in the, in the whole league that still do this where the, the, the coaches actually have to leave the bench, walk across the ice at the end of every period and game. And this is how it is in Winnipeg at the end of game one. If you guys remember, but Mark Shifley was mouthing off. He ran Jordan Bennington the first shift of the game. It was just a lot of emotion and drama, which made it so exciting. But then you're right. I mean, Mark Shifley and then Craig Berube just jumps right in there and he starts barking. And it was like it was like the, the sea parting. Like the, the Winnipeg Jets just laughed. I think they are more afraid of that coach than probably any two players combined on that blue team. I swear to you.
0: That's amazing. Hey Joey, one uh, broadcast thing: Have you thought about having to broadcast games from a studio and? Apparently you guys are not going to be in the ring. There's a piece about it at the athletic today, but uh, have you you thought about having to broadcast a game from uh, a monitor in a studio?
1: You know, I I have given it some thought, Randy, and it kind of sounds like uh, that's what it may look like, uh, not only for the radio side, but for a lot of TV sides mm-hmm. as well, just given the number that's going to be allowed into the rink. I mean, I heard a rumor that maybe the, Doc, the great Doc Emmerich and NBC crew, they may not even be let into the building. So it, it, who knows who's actually going to be let in. But uh, with with that being said, you know, I I've never done that before. I mean, I've done it in my head a bunch because obviously this is how you watch games on your couch. You just you commentate. And so I think it could be feel very relaxed. I don't want it to get so relaxed where I, I say something I probably shouldn't say, because I feel like that's, that's the kind of the setup that it provides where you just, I'm on the couch with Chris Kerber, we're, we're cracking a few Bud Lights and, and we're just talking sports. You know what I mean? So I got to make sure I kind of keep things tight, but I also think that, you know, I was talking to Darren Pang about this too just from uh, being sharp. I mean, during a game, you can just sit back when you're up top and the bird's eye view, you kind of scan the whole thing. And yes, you're looking behind the play, ahead of the play, but you're all, your, your head's not moving much. So you can kind of like just grasp it more. I think with the different monitors, which we'll probably have, let's say three or four different shots uh, for, for the game, I think it's becoming a lot of back and forth, back and forth, and, and just keeping an eye on things behind the play. That's something that I really learned a lot from Joe Micheletti about he goes constantly look behind the play. What's going on behind the play? Why did that two on one develop? Did someone get hurt? Was someone you know late on a line change? So I'm always kind of looking behind the play. So that's one area I'm I'm kind of interested to see uh, what I can catch and what I what I'm going to miss because what goes on where the puck isn't, as you guys know. It plays such a huge role into the game and what goes on. Um, so that that to me is something I, I want to make sure I try to get right as much as I can.
0: We know you're going to be great. Have a great weekend, sir. Happy Father's Day again, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Randy, Michelle, thank you guys. You guys have a wonderful weekend as well.
0: All right, take care. That is the great Joey Vitale with us on 101 ESPN. He's a fun guy, isn't he? Oh, he is. As good as it gets.
2: I would love to have he and Curbs cracking some Bud Lights, though. Wouldn't Give him that
0: the be call. A great broadcast. Sitting
2: on the couch. Top tech companies like Intel have a secret to their success. They get the best talent, reliable
0: infrastructure, and save on costs by expanding in Ohio, the new Silicon Heartland. Learn how your business can succeed in Ohio. Visit successinohio.com. Let me guess. Unknown caller? You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection. The latest innovation from Discover. We'll help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from ten popular people search websites that could sell your data. And we'll do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection.